I'm Elena Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Ilana. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. Stay tuned in the coming weeks. I'm going to be bringing you some really inspiring and tremendous stories of grandmothers from Fiji, who are teaching others to make solar lamps, to grandmothers in Portugal who are creating spray painting art, and grandmothers in the Philippines, lolas as they call themselves, who listening to this podcast have decided to intensify their efforts to launch a lola activista movement to fight for the human rights of women and other lolas. There are some really vital grandmothers around the world making extraordinary contributions, and I can't wait to bring them to you. And today, I have an extremely special guest, a good friend, Barbara Coloroso, an international best-selling author, a humanitarian, world-renowned anti-bullying expert, a speaking consultant on everything from teaching to parenting to grieving to nonviolent conflict resolution, a proud grandma, I happen to know, and as I like to think of Barbara, a parent whisperer. Many of us have relied on Barbara's wisdom and kindness and generosity of spirit uh, in our own parenting, and now I think probably grandmothering. So Barbara, welcome. Welcome to Grandmothers on the Move. Thank you, Alana. It's really a joy. For me too. I was thinking about talking to you and very excited to have the opportunity to have a different kind of discussion with you about the work that you're doing now. You've been doing this work for over four decades and speaking and writing and thinking about parenting, about children, about children's rights, about how to create a more humane world for and amongst children. And I I wondered, Barbara, has this changed and has your awareness and your thinking changed as you became a grandmother? I'd like to think it's grown. Um, Right. And um, the I'm on third generation of parents in my lectures. I was just in Sudbury and talking to a grandmother, a mom, and a soon-to-be mom uh, who have passed down the winning at parenting. And it was just a pleasure to see that. And the basic constructs about raising responsible, resourceful, resilient, compassionate human beings has not changed. The the environment our young people are raising their children in truly has. We have more uh, multimedia and the concerns that parents have about screen time and getting children out to play in unstructured formats has radically changed the way the day goes for young parents. And I talk about ourselves putting down our own screen tools when our kids walk through the door or our (laughs) grandchildren walk through the door. Um, You know, you can have a child walk through the door and you say, how's your day? And you hear, fine. But if you turned around and looked at that child, it was not fine. 
his whole body is speaking that this was not the best day. Uh, and so how do we tune into that kind of message? And yet, keep in tune with the online world. It used to be online and real world. It's now online and offline world have become the real world for young parents and for young people who are growing up in this new environment, this new frontier that uh, we are all trying to keep up with and be a part of and yet influence as well. Our kids have to be, I say, cyber civil, cyber savvy, and cyber safe. Well, we want them civil, savvy, and safe in the offline world as well. So they do come together. The same principles apply. But that has been probably the biggest. Um, I'm often asked about multi-generational families living together. That's not a new concept. People have been doing that for generations. Uh, And so that's not so new. It may be new for some people in North America, but it's been a very common thing throughout the world. Some people are just trying to get used to it and ask me when my adult children come back home, what are some of the rules that we need to lay down? I said, well, they're your friend now uh, as adults. And how do friends treat one another in their homes? And what expectations do we have? So those are the kinds of issues that I see being brought up today. And also, and I have it in my own family, we took in Bosnian refugees during the Bosnian War. And they came with young children who now have children. And the young kids who came and their children call me grandma. So I think grandma extends beyond a biological family. And I see that more and more. I see with the grandmothers in Canada uh, as a part of the Stephen Lewis Foundation, embracing grandmothers throughout the world and giving them support. So we're all in this together. Thanks in part to the online world, we are connected throughout the world and we can use it for good or for ill. But grandmothers working together, whether it's in the offline community, uh, neighbor to neighbor, supporting our own children's children or our own connections in the neighborhood to go to school and to volunteer uh, and be that grandparent present is, I think, so important for young people today. That really leads into the other question I wanted to ask you, which was, why is it so important for young children today to have these grandmothering figures in their lives? Both, as you say, biological grandchildren, but also children in general. I think it's important because, as I say to parents, you have the energy and less wisdom. (laughs) We have a bit more wisdom, (laughs) maybe a bit less energy. But we have that wisdom of having been through often tragedies in our lives, uh, disappointments, sometimes in raising our own children who are now seeking advice from us. Uh, But we have a different sense. I think, uh, I I know when my first grandchild was born, um, I returned to some native teachings that talked about the fact that we're now looking seven generations out. I will not live, uh, no matter what my diet and exercise is, uh, to see my great-grandchildren uh, or uh, their, my ch- grandchildren's gra- grandchildren. I just know that. So how can I help make it a better world? We are free from uh, raising our children on a 24-hour basis. Uh, many of us, I have to say that there are some grandparents 
who are doing the parenting of young people. And for them, they need to seek out younger support who have that energy that will climb the jungle gyms with their kids and the like. But uh, we are there for that, that wisdom, I believe. Uh, and having been there, done that, um, and uh, what uh, we can add, we have uh, also uh, keeping our minds alive and our bodies moving. Um, we have uh, a perspective that uh, younger generation doesn't have just by virtue of being older and reflecting. We have more time to reflect on what really matters. Um, we just recently downsized and we, I wish we'd have done it sooner. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, giving away things that may have meant something to us a long time ago or realizing really all those things from grade two of our own, that we collected for our own children, they're not so interested in. Um, <laughs> and so looking at those kinds of things and saying, how can we declutter our own lives, not just physically, uh, but mentally and emotionally and uh, with that depth of a mindset of deep caring for the planet. Yes, I've heard that from, I've actually heard something very similar from a lot of the grandmothers to whom I'm speaking. And I wonder if I can ask you personally for a moment, you, you talk about having time to reflect on what really matters. In, in your own experience of grandmotherhood with your own grandchildren, where did that take you? Um, time, having time with them. And I, I spoke about it in my parenting lectures uh, 40 years ago, uh, but that kids need our time, our affection, and our sense of optimism. Uh, but that time is um, not just quality time, quote unquote, uh, where we say kids, we're going to take a day off and we're going to go someplace special. Those things matter. But it's that just hanging around time, being present time, uh, doing things that mean something for our grandchildren, inviting them into a world that maybe mom and dad in their busy lives uh, uh, or uh, mom alone or mom or dad alone just simply don't have the energy or the uh, wherewithal to do it. Um, taking them places, walking quietly with them, uh, going to the park and kicking a soccer ball, although I don't kick it quite like I used to. Um, <laughs> I, they can still deliver it back and, and have fun. And, and so it's that time, affection, you know, being present to give them that smile, a hug and humor as often as possible, whether it's using um, the online world to do that through Skype or or all the new platforms that we can speak to our kids, FaceTime on the phone, text messaging. I've learned um, some time ago that uh, my own children and my grandchildren uh, don't tend to respond to a phone call, but a text message, they'll respond right away. Um, and uh, uh, being attuned to that, uh, my mother, who died at 91 this year, had a cell phone, a, a fully operational high-tech cell phone, and a computer and kept in, in touch with all of her great-grandchildren uh, in a way that I think some of the parents and grandparents envied a bit because she was present. She could tell us what was going on in our kids' lives, and we might not have known that. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, that time, affection, and a sense of optimism. And this is where it's not that rose-colored optimism because as grandparents, we have been there, done that. 
And for many of us, there have been tremendous losses in our lives. Or even as I look at the Bosnians uh, and uh, the uh, Rwandans who were orphaned in the genocide, who are now raising their own children. And depending, um, I'm a grandmother to some of the kids there. Uh, and depending on us, they'll call us and, and ask for some advice and to be present in that way. But that, that optimism is what Viktor Frankl, a death camp survivor, said was tragic optimism. You know, when you've been brought to your knees in grief, can you get up in the morning? fix your children breakfast and say, you know, we're going to make it through this. Well, sometimes it's very hard for a parent when there's been that horrific loss or, or something uh, traumatic happening or, and the like. Uh, but we have been through that and knew that we can get through it. Not over it. You don't get over those things. But get through it and have that sense of we're going to make it through this. And I mean that very strongly. It's the we are going to get through this. Nobody has to do it alone when grandparents. Yeah, that's that's very powerful. I, I know that one of the things that this podcast has has brought me to reflect on quite deeply is the way in which grandmothers in particular, I think, some grandfathers too, but grandmothers in particular have such a quiet but powerful uh, influence and presence with their adult children as they're parenting, that the presence of grandmothers in grandchildren's lives, it has this, I've said it before, this sort of strange kind of alchemy of joy and acceptance and presence, uh, but that the adult parents also benefit in very deep and new ways uh, in the relationship with their, with the grandmothers in their lives, with the kind of support and affirmation and exactly what you say, that, that I, I love that optimism in the most serious of ways that things will be okay that we get through hard times or we get through challenges even if it's a child not doing well at school or having a problem at school or something much more uh, much more traumatic in life or challenging in life and I wonder how in because you have so much experience speaking to uh, parents and mothers and now intergenerationally how does how do you talk about that? How do you think about that? I was quite taken when I, I spoke to my own mother, interviewed my own mother, and one of the things she talked about was the support, how important it was as a grandmother to be there as a presence, not just a loving and accepting presence, but also with values and care and transmitting a sort of cultural way of being uh, for her adult children, for me, uh, as I as I parent my own children. What, what I think it's vital. Um, and I, I also look at the other direction. When my um, two daughters had uh, our grandchildren, um, I said to both of them, is there anything uh, your dad and I always put him in there too. So I don't think <laughs> right. the blame here. Uh, your dad and I um, did when we were parenting you that you don't want us to do with your children. My oldest said, boy, I'm going to have to think about that. My middle one said, right, jumped in right away and <laughs> said, yes, there is. And I, oh my. Um, and she said, when, when we were little and walking uh, in public and we're messing around, uh, you would grab us by the arm and squeeze tight. My heart sunk because my mother had done that. 
And wow. I was repeating that. And I said to her, oh, my goodness, hon, your job is to do a better job than we did. It's called evolution. <laughs> and I <laughs> promise you, I will never do that to my grandchildren. And I have not. But it was the wisdom of a young person now as a parent saying, you know, mom, this is something. But what I've always talked about in my parenting lectures is, is we have parenting tools up there. Uh, compliments of our parents who raised us, the community we grew up in, and the culture we grew up in. And some grew up in very vital, functioning, healthy families, and they reach into their toolbox for a hammer, they pull out a hammer. The rest of us, who didn't come from necessarily healthy, vital, functioning families, reach in for a hammer, we pull out a hatchet, and that squeeze in the arm was the hatchet. <laughs> and we have to, uh, that's why we rely on one another and, and elders um, who have. Not in my own family. I could not look to my mother for those. I could look to her for a lot of other good things. And, and the way she responded to my children in turn helped me respond to my grandchildren for good or for ill. But I had to look back and say, nope, that tool needs to go. Uh, and we need to replace it with something else. So we, as a grandmother, um, I was growing um, with that adult relationship with my daughters and my son. Uh, and so I think we can look both ways there and celebrate. I mean, I have to smile. I, my oldest is, is sure that they got the two boys mixed up in the family. <laughs> uh, her sister should be raising the one who's leaping all over the place. And that she should have had that one who's a little more gentle and, and mild mannered. But they got what they got, you know. And they grow from one another. And it's just exciting to listen to them and then to turn to me. Um, and, and one day we were driving in the car with our oldest granddaughter and she asked me a question. And I went into this long explanation. My oldest daughter looked at me and said, do you ever stop teaching? Um, and I said, no, we were smiling. And I said, no, you know, it's, I'm an educator as well, you know, and I, I don't think as grandparents, we ever stop teaching, teaching them to, um, I've always made my grandchildren's birthday cakes. But this year, when our oldest granddaughter turned 10, I brought the caking pans and the tools and said, it's your turn. And I taught her how to do those tools. She made her own birthday cake. <laughs> nice. um, and with tools and my oldest is looking and saying, ah, oh, hmm, you didn't teach us to do that. And she's right. <laughs> it's that time and energy and that we didn't have when they were younger. That now as grandparents, we do to teach them to do little skills around the house that maybe we very quickly did ourselves because it was more efficient when uh, we were raising ours. But now we do have the time to teach them. And also in reverse. There are things I depend on my grandchildren teaching me about the world as it is today. And I think you and I, as grand, you're not a grandparent yet, but your mother, definitely. We, we have to look to the younger generation to help us. And it isn't because I know how to get online and do something very particular. It's I don't know how to do what they're doing and they can teach me. One of the things that has been so interesting to learn is how grandmothers themselves come together around common causes and become activists in their older age or 
form new community of other women who are going through or caring about or engaged in similar things and how that coming together is also an extraordinary opportunity for their own growth, but also for learning from one another and creating a community of peers to talk about exactly the kind of things you're talking about. Have you experienced that or have, and I'm sure you've seen that. I have. Uh, the Women's March here, because of what is going on in our country, uh, how important it was. I saw so many. I went to the L.A. March with my grandson, and my daughter was working that day, and she said, just don't get arrested, um, <laughs> <laughs> because as a nun, I'd done that. So <laughs> we came by that, uh, that warning quite. I said, no, I've got a little seven-year-old at that point with me, and that won't happen. And I saw so many women my own age saying, we've been here and did this before, but we have got to be here for one another, uh, because we have the wisdom from having done this years ago to support the young women and to let them know that we have been here and we are here for you. Uh, the recent march for sane gun laws, which is mind-boggling, if we look around the world, say, my goodness, it doesn't have to be this way. Countries to the north and countries to the south, it's not the same. Uh, so can we make it better? And I think we are there. Yes, young people have a powerful voice, but we're there to support them. And to say, uh, we agree. And we are a powerful voting bloc that I think governments are beginning to recognize as grandmothers that, that we care deeply about these issues. We read about these issues. We are willing to put our feet on the ground and our posters held high um, because these are our young people. Like Cahill Gibran said, life longing for itself. They are truly life longing for itself. And we have to be there to say, we want to make this a better world for you. And we're willing to get our hands dirty and we're willing to put our faces out there. And if need be, we're willing to get arrested for a good cause. Uh, I go back to the civil rights movement. I remember marching as a nun in the late 60s. It was only the very young and the very old who were able to march because the, the mother superior in the house said, look, the rest of us have to keep the convent running. <laughs> we can't afford to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> but what struck me is we had Chinese sisters who had had to flee when the Japanese took over and invaded Nanking and, and they had to leave. Uh, and they were out there in full force for human rights. And they were in their 70s, 80s, 90s, two of them, you know, and saying, we can make a difference. And I, I learned from them. They were there to support us. We were there to help pick them up when they stumbled. Uh, but it was a mutual thing. And I think that's where we're at again today with the marches in the streets, the children willing to be so vocal. Can we stand beside them, not behind them? but beside them and say, we're here for you. And I can't resist, Barbara, to pick up on a small point from all of that, which is personal, which is that you did start out as a nun. It's hard for some of us <laughs> to imagine. <laughs> but glad I went. It, was, it was amazing. I'm so glad I went and so glad I left. Right. It was, those years were powerful years for me. Um, I left a very small town and moved to a convent in Milwaukee. And we were an activist order. 
right in the heat of the civil rights movement. And I was exposed to phenomenal university and to phenomenal women who had been through horrors. And we were mission, it was a missionary order and a teaching order. And so to see the Chinese uh, sisters who had given up everything and maintained their vows during a horrific time in their lives, um, I would not have experienced that coming from a small town had I not gone there. And then to come to the realization that this may be a valuable way of life for others, but it wasn't for me. I had a year of silence. My mother finds it hard to believe I shut up for a year. <laughs> but it, it was a valuable year, and it has served me well as a parent because I still need time away myself to reflect, to be alone, and that's become a part of my own life that I've carried on even in the midst of crazy parenting with three kids in three and a half years. But now as a grandmother to uh, sit down with my own grandchildren and say, you know, now we can use the word mindfulness to be aware of what's around you, to sit and reflect. And uh, my father had a way of saying, he said, sit down, shut up, get to like yourself uh, which was not exactly the technique they gave us in the convent, but when things went wrong in our lives, and I carry that through, and having learned uh, different techniques as a nun, but the importance of reflecting and being still and taking care of yourself, because you are of no use to children or grandchildren, to the rest of the world, if you haven't taken care of yourself. True. But there must have been a time when you first entered the order when you never saw yourself as a parent or as a grandmother. And how did you imagine yourself into a, into a completely different life? Well, when I talked in my longer workshop after I was finished, because I always told them I was a nun and no, I didn't marry a priest. And yes, I met him after I left the convent. So they weren't asking those questions. It's right up front. But I would say to them, as they would ask me, why did you leave? And I'd say, well, there were three vows, poverty, chastity, obedience. I grew up very, very poor. So I lived better in the convent than I did in my growing years. Chastity, I knew very little about at that point. It was the vow of obedience that challenged me. And uh, in my work, my goal in helping parents and educators raise responsible, resourceful, resilient, compassionate human beings how critical it is to teach them how to think, not just what to think. And very often by the end of a lecture, people could say, oh, it's about obedience. And I was in the convent during the, the upheaval of Vatican II and the radical changes occurring. And so the vow of obedience would look different today than it did then. But that was the one where I said, this is not for me. Um, my mother can attest to the fact that I was always a free thinker. And drove her a bit crazy in the process with uh, challenging things at school and the like. But I believe it's important. And I think that has helped me in good stead in my adult years. And I also think as I work on the issues of bullying, uh, Sebastian Hafner talks about the trap of comradeship in his book, Defying Hitler, where groups of people who aren't thinking for themselves, who are not standing up for values and against injustices, can get locked into that trap with a strong leader. And I think that's so important in a democracy that we teach our young people how to think, not just what to think, to be of their own mind, willing to seek the resources of grandparents and parents and uh, their own book knowledge and the like, but being willing to say when the high status social bully says to all the other girls, I don't like the new girl. You want to be in my group? Don't eat lunch with her. 
if you have raised a free thinker um, who is not going to be obedient to that Pythagoras social bully, you will have a young daughter who will say, that's mean, that's cruel, and have the courage to go sit next to the new girl. Because she won't do that to accolades and praise. She'll do that to, at times, condemnation. Oh, Miss Goody Two-Shoes, or you're next. And young boys, we want to raise them to feel that same way when others are hurting other kids in the locker room to say, back off, leave them alone. But it takes young people who know how to think, not just what to think, who have been raised in a deeply caring environment that accept other human beings. As Martin Buber said, the I and the thou. I'm unique, you're unique. Uh, And we have a common humanity. And the more we can impress upon young people that and I become I said it when I was younger uh, and now I I feel like it's not just the words I meant them then but they have a totally different dimension as a grandparent uh, where we do have a common humanity yeah and I as I speak to grandmothers who are engaged in social activism social justice work solidarity work what I hear is a kind of freeing up of, of the self and of the spirit to engage in all sorts of things that you might not have engaged in as a, as a younger woman or as a younger parent, and how important that is to the grandchildren to see that in action. Or that it doesn't matter. Your, re- your skin is wrinkled. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, my grandkids like to pull it uh, my mother's skin first, you know, because she was 91. Uh, and it didn't go back down. <laughs> and now they're, they're pulling at mine and it doesn't go back down. And, but you reach the point where, you know what? The breaths are sagging. Uh, the body isn't getting up those stairs as quickly. And the, the face has wrinkles. And we're not spending a horrific amount of money and time and energy trying to make that go away. There's that sense of this is not so important. That there's something far greater that we need to be addressing and intending to. Uh, we need to keep ourselves in good health as best to the best of our abilities, but uh, it matters not today. Those are the things that may have had significant younger. Uh, I think culturally we're fighting that though, because it, when they say 70 is the new 60, no, I'm 70. Let's just be there. This is what 70 looks like <laughs> on me. And this is what it looks like on somebody else. It's good. I don't need to dress like younger women. I think we can make a, a, a statement to the rest of the world. I'm here to say we can be relevant at 70 and 80 and 90, uh, that we do matter. And we are here not just to be taken care of, although some of us will need that. And uh, I always say, be kind to your children. They do pick out your nursing home. Um, and be kind and be kind to your parents They're, your children are watching you so what kind of a role model can we be my grandchildren I think had a sense of pride that grandma was out there marching for human rights uh, marching for women's rights um, and it was our grandson I took to the women's march we looked over at this crowd of 750,000 people and they said this is what humanity looks like we're all in this together and we're going to get through this together I think those kinds of tools and and times that we embrace with our grandchildren is so important. That's just a beautiful and perfect note to end on because that is indeed what what my exploration with grandmothers has been all about, the vital relevance that grandmothers are playing, not just in our own families, which is crucial, but in our own communities and in our society. What could be more important? 
I think it, we've got to realize we do have that relevance. And, and in a way, uh, in our quiet way or in our loud way, let the world know we're not going away. We're here. It's an energy to fight for what is good for every child on this planet because our kids are worth it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Barbara. How wonderful to hear from you. Pleasure, Alana. <laughs> I said at the beginning before before I pressed record that I was absolutely sure that I would ask you back again and I and I could be never more certain of anything <laughs> as we come to a close today. Oh, I would love it. And uh, it's just delightful. And give your mother a big hug. She, she was one of my mentors uh, in my life. I absolutely will. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.